Welcome to an all-new episode of Convos with Three. And Al. I am your host, Sharita underscore Edwards. And I'm your host, Al. Williams for real. Thank you guys for tuning in and giving all the love. And with that being said, let's get started with a new episode. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie. This is Al. How have you guys been doing How out there? How everybody doing? This is our first time you're able to see us put a face yes. to the name. So, yes, this is Sharita underscore Edwards. This is Al Dot Williams for Real, and we're going to have a special guest today. Yes. So, we know how life has been with the pandemic. We know that a lot of people have been stressed, a lot of mental issues have been, you know, coming up. So, we wanted to do a, a special episode dedicated to mental illness. Yes. Because yes, yes. I know a lot that I've, I've gone through some things during this pandemic. I know I've been through depression, trying to figure out my next move, being laid off, and then just being home 24-7 with a loved 24/7. one and kids. Child. You have the virtual learning. That was a challenge. It was, it was a challenge. Virtual <laughs> so, was a challenge. I'm really excited about this episode because I know it's a lot of information people need out there that, you know, now that the world's starting to open up a little bit, uh, people are starting to just d- jump out there. Yes. And it's like nothing is yeah. just they just going head first. head first. And I wanted to wait and let and let Rita get all of that out because I've been mm-hmm. feeling the same way. Mm-hmm. But because I have no kids, it's <laughs> just me. When mm-hmm. a layoff happened, I'm like, oh, let me do something else that I can survive. Mm-hmm. But as a parent, listening to her is like, because mm. yeah. if you get laid off and you have kids, it's a whole stress added to the cycle that's already a mental thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to be a part of this episode. We're happy to introduce our new guest. She's our first guest of Convos with Rhea and Al, which I'm yes, excited about. I'm very excited about that. So, mm-hmm. and we really thank her for, you know, accepting the invite yes, to yes, do yes. this. So, you want to tell us who our special guest is? So, our special guest is Tori Dixon. Yes. And so, we're gonna welcome Tori to Convos hey, with Rhea and Al. Hey. Thank you for accepting Listen. the invite and coming on. Thank you for having me. Listen, I did not know I was the very first guest on yes. the show. Yes. Man, y'all, listen, y'all put pressure on me. God didn't tell me that before we started. <laughs> See, we did, we do like, things on purpose so we know that you don't have that pressure until you get right there on the... <laughs> yes! Oh my yes. gosh, I cannot believe I am popping the the guest cherry on your yes. show. Yes. And I am so excited to be here. I want to say thank you so very much for having me. Mm-hmm. Anytime I get the opportunity to... Um, minister in this way to have a voice out um, in the in the atmosphere in the universe that allows us to talk about um, openly have conversation about what our mental health mental wellness and mental illness and just being able to distinguish between those terms and how we talk about mental health it's been kind of at the top of the forefront in our community for the past couple years And it's just an amazing opportunity. And whenever I get it, I like to um, always just put everything into it and to thank you guys so much for letting me in your space. Thank you for sharing space with me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank Tori, you. we're excited, girl. We're excited <laughs> to have you. All this goodness and gracious that you're giving us right now, I'm loving it. Like, if you guys have, I've been doing research. She got a show that she does on Tuesdays mm-hmm. called When Tori Talks. Follow her on Instagram. Follow her everything because she does a podcast too. It's, it's it's a whole thing, and I just I've been listening to her videos. Like if you follow her on Instagram, you're gonna get a whole life of everything yeah. you need to know. So mentally. Tori, can you kind of tell us what you do? Like you know, is there any one specific thing you specialize in with the mental? Just kind of give us a rundown of what you do. 
Listen, I every time somebody asks me about my background, I always have to really start from the beginning. So Please. I don't know if you if you followed me on Instagram or even if you follow me on Facebook. Um, I'm I am a Grace School Journey Counseling. I am the clinical director of my private practice that's here in Arlington, Texas. Um, we have a virtual office actually in Atlanta, Georgia. So I have a therapist out in Atlanta. If you're in the, if you're in the state of Georgia and you're looking for a therapist. Um, give us a call and we can um, hook you up with our girl out there. Um, but my my background and how all of this started is with an 11 and a half career, um, year career in mortuary science. So I'm actually okay. a licensed mortician. Wow. Um, I've been a licensed mortician for 11 and a half years. I started my career out in Georgia. And the one thing that I, I saw as a mortician was that there was a there was not a bridge between what happens when a family walks into the door when their loved one passes away and then what happens after we lay that loved one to rest there was not a there was not a bridge at all between the two spaces now you would think um if from my opinion i believe that grief is the most common emotional um experience that we as humanity experience together so all of us won't experience the, the house on the hill, the house with the white picket fence, the partner, the kids, the, 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 the six-figure income. We all won't experience happiness. And I'm not talking about just in our very narrow um, perspective of what happens here in the United States. I'm talking globally. When you look at the global population, everybody on the planet won't, won't uh, understand what happiness is according right. to how we see it, right? But all of us will experience loss at some point in our lives. So I believe that grief is the most common emotion that we all as humans experience, right? Mm -hmm. So here I am, and in 2003, my sister actually was diagnosed with um, schizoaffective disorder. She was 33 years old. Um, and if you know anything about mental illness, being diagnosed at 33 is almost unheard of. Yeah. Um, because usually a diagnosis of that magnitude happens in your late teens and early 20s. And she was already past that state. So we didn't know what was going on. And so at that time, I decided to pick up the mantle so that I can be an advocate for her. And I went back to school. I got my master's in mental health counseling. Um, I started doing a lot of community-based counseling services out in the Atlanta area. So um, people weren't coming to my office to see me. I was actually going out into the community. I was going into the school. I was providing therapeutic services for young people and just having that kind of experience and understanding that oftentimes what's happening on the inside of us has a whole lot to do with what's happening around us. Mm -hmm. And so kids were having issues in school, they were fighting and just doing things and then I go to the home and I realize, man, they don't have lights, they don't have water, there's no groceries. Um, parents are living paycheck to paycheck and barely surviving. So no wonder a child is having some yeah. behavior issues. So why don't we try and create a space where we are fixing the whole child and we're not just looking at the behavior, but we're looking at the why behind the behavior. So me being a mortician kind of bridged the gap into me being a therapist, which is why now I specialize in grief and loss. And most times when you hear the word grief and loss, you typically only associate that with death, death and dying. Mm -hmm. But everybody experiences a loss. Even if I lost my favorite earring or if I lost my significant other, um, we break up a divorce, transition, new job, getting married. All those things are losses. Because yeah. when you get married, you, listen, we want to be married.
married and marriage is great. We want to be in partnerships and I and I am an advocate for people partnering in, in that, you know, in that level of commitment. But you have to understand that there's a grief process even as you are in that moment of gratitude. Mm-hmm. So when you stand to the altar and say I do to your partner, that means you are saying I don't to the to the life that you created for yourself by yes. yourself all yes. those years so prior to coming there. That is true. Preach, preach, baby, yes. preach. That's, yes. that's yes. it. Yeah, you that was it. So it's a grief yes. process. And yes. so um, when I talk about grief and when, when my clients come in and sit with me, that's kind of where my modality starts. That, that's where I start doing therapy. I start where the loss begins. And yes. when I can find out where the loss happened, be it the loss of security, be it the loss of safety, be it the loss of love, be it the loss of connection, when I can find the loss, then I know that that's kind of where we can go from there. Wow. I love it. Yes. I love that. That so, just hit on so many things. I mean, so it just it just took me through there, and I was like, oh, okay, well. Yeah, I got so many questions. Thank you so much for joining the show. <laughs> Girl, thanks for joining the show. So, you guys, you know me. I always give us a good title for our show. Today's title of the show is called Mentally Thinking. So, for me, I'm mentally thinking about all the things that we've been going through through the pandemic, as we were saying before. Also, mentally thinking about these celebrities that have been doing some crazy things and just things that make you be like, really? I'm mentally thinking you're not okay. You know, so for me, on the outside looking in, I just want to say to all of our conversationalists, if you're interested in listening to what we have to say and then you have a response, all you have to do is comment under our Instagram, our Facebook, and just ask us questions. We'll refer those questions to Tori, and baby, if she can get back to you, she will. And we'll just put it in an email list because some of these questions are going to be very much so needed. Mm-hmm. And some of you guys might want to set an appointment like me because I think I'm going to need an appointment after this session. <laughs> yeah, okay, me. so... <laughs> I know I think I am. I'm going to need a full appointment. Like, I need <laughs> to go see Tori yes. so we can talk. You know, it just... I lost a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I lost a lot. Yeah. I didn't even think about so, it. So, conversationalists, if you want to have a conversation with mm-hmm. us or with Tori, just put those questions at the bottom and we'll definitely try to get those answers yes. easy and as quick as possible. So, with that transition, we'll go into our hot topics. Mm-hmm. of the show. Our hot topic is going to be easy breezy because it's going to be things that we've already talked about, but we're going to get our mental specialist opinion on these topics, okay? Mm-hmm. So, our first topic that we're going to talk about is what we talked about on our last Wednesday episode when we were talking about Mr. R to the Kelly. Now, mm-hmm. with R Kelly, he's <laughs> been doing a lot of things that are that probably people in the 90s and the 99 and 2000s have heard about all of our lives, but now the new generation and the new women's movement, the new movement of change, has heard all the new things that he's been doing. So with this, I want to bring up his sexual abuse to children, his sex trafficking that he's also getting charged with right now, and also just the fact that he's in court talking about things he did to a 15-year-old, which we all know her as Aaliyah, and America normalized it in our time growing up. So now we're in a new age, and I just want to get the opinion of not only the kids' thought process of being molested, and but on top of that, the parents, the parents' process of like allowing their kids to be, I guess, sold into slavery for music. So my question to you is, what do you think the kids mentally are thinking, and the parents as well? I think this is a very, very, um, it's, not, it's not a monolithic answer, right? So because I think a lot of times when we think about parenting and when we think about um, what's going on in the mind of a parent, mm-hmm. um, I think we think that, you know, the manipulation of the situation just happened with the children. And I think we have to um, 
I'm all I'm all for holding space mm-hmm. for people because one of the fundamental things that I believe in working with people is that nobody wants to be in a bad situation. Right. Um, what we learned in school is that self-preservation is the first law of nature, right? So everybody wants to self-preserve, and in my mind, and when I say self-preserve, let me give you an give give you an example of that. Um, Lachelle, you have children. If God forbid you and your children are in a house and that house catches fire, mm-hmm. your first reaction, your first internal risk reaction, the first thing that you're going to do is look for your way out. Yeah. That's going to be your first re- re- reaction. Your internal instinctual reaction is to look for your way out mm-hmm. because you know if the way is big enough for you to get through, it's going to also be big enough for your children to get through. Now, your first response is going to be to push your children out, right? Because as a mom, you're like, I'm protecting my kids at all costs. But internally, you're going to look for a way to save yourself first, because you know that way will then be a way to save your children. And I think when we talk about the children of these parents, um, we have to look at their, their mental space, where they were, what position they were in to be manipulated and to be um, clouded and shrouded by who they thought was somebody who was in power. Because let's be honest that the system, the system that created um, R. Kelly and created this space for him to, to operate in the way that he was able to operate for many years, that's a very powerful system. And we we are dealing with it now, but if we are we can't say that that system is still not in play yeah. because we don't really know what's going on in that world. That's a very powerful world, and so I think at some point we have to also give the parents an opportunity to heal their mental spaces as well. Because this, I'm I'm going to say it's an assumption, of course, because I've never spoken to any of them, but that they thought that they were doing the best thing for their child's career or putting their child in a position to be, um, and, and I know that some things have come out where parents were aware of some of the things that were happening, mm-hmm. but we also have to understand that trauma just doesn't drop from the sky. It oftentimes is pe- uh, perpetuated from an individual's own personal traumatic spaces and how um, for many of us in our communities, how we have grown up in spaces mm-hmm. where we have protected the perpetrator and we have silenced the victims, and we don't tell on Uncle Billy, but we all know that you don't leave the kids at home with him by himself, and you, when you go over this person's house, you don't go there, and you don't sit on anybody's lap, and you don't hug anybody, and so we know all of these little things, but nobody speaks out about it, and so we have to also then attack the culture of silence that allows sexual abuse, even in our own community, in a smaller Face, right? Yes. Um, and so <clears throat> we, we have to know that this is, again, this is not a monolithic thing. But when you talk about children who deal, who have been sexually molested and sexually abused, mm-hmm. these are acts of trauma that that is going to show forth themselves almost in the life of the, all of us have experienced trauma first and foremost. Right. It may not have been <clears throat> sexual nature because when we think of trauma, we think sexual abuse, we think, you know, physical violence. But trauma is also losing a parent to jail or separation or death. That's also a trauma. Poverty is a trauma. So not having one's basic needs met is also a trauma. 
Um, let's see. Let me give you another one. So I said death if you are separated from a parent through jail. Divorce is trauma. That is actually considered a trauma according to the adverse um, childhood experiences test. So many of us have at least, most adults have at least three that we can name. And uh, several of us, and so I, if, I, if I ask the question, is any of your parents have, uh, have been divorced? Yeah. That's considered yeah. a trauma. If you grew up in a home with a person who has a mental illness, that's considered a trauma. If you grew up with someone who's an alcoholic or who had um, issues with alcoholism or, or drugs, that's a trauma. If you were separated from your primary parent for whatever reason, be it drugs, be it jail, be it they're just absent, then that's considered a trauma. So we have to be careful that we don't pigeonhole trauma into just sexual abuse or um, the extreme things, but we, that we see it on a larger on a larger scale. So yes, these children are going to have to find ways to integrate this traumatic event into a life of normalcy and creating a new normal into what that looks like. Some of the things that concerns me as I just hear that, that the trial is going on and all the other things is how the um, how it brings up the emotional space for them now that they're having to retell their stories and they're actually having to relive and recall and remember some of the tragic things that happened to them during that time period. And my hope is that they are surrounded by community, not just the child themselves, but also the parents, that they find good, healthy community that includes not only that, that includes, of course, mental health services, mm -hmm. that includes physical health services, that includes spiritual health services. All of those things have to be addressed when we talk about forging ahead and, and looking for some way to heal. My hopes is that we don't allow the story of the victims to hinge upon R. Kelly himself, that he doesn't become the centerpiece in the main narrative in their healing process. You know, it's, it's bad enough that he's already the main character and the orchestrator of so much of the abuse and the trauma that has happened to them. My hope is that as we begin to heal forward, that we find ways to redirect the narrative of the story from him not being the center of that story and allowing these, these victims to remember that they really don't need him as a participant in their healing process. Mm -hmm. that, that they don't need, you don't need him to, yes, we want to see justice served, mm -hmm. but justice, whatever that justice looks like, it may not look like what you had anticipated it to look like, but that doesn't need to stop your healing. That you don't need this grandiose apology. That's not going to stop your healing because if you never get it, then now you're just up. So I just want them to know that the power of their own healing is in their hands and that we don't need any outside forces. R. Kelly, the justice system, um, uh, public opinion, we don't need any of that in order to heal and to live a life of, of health going forward. Yes, 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 yes. yes. I love all of that. Okay, so you guys know I have a show called I Got Something to Say, and I always try to bring a little political over here to our co-hosts and and Al, because I feel like if you're not doing black culture, and if you're not doing politics, you can make it black politics. That's what we call it on I Got Something to Say, right? So um, with this, I want to get a little um, mentally thinking when it comes to the children being in school, not being able to get vaccines, parents are stressed out because the, the hospitals are filling up rapidly with kids, mm -hmm. family, elderly, and those that are not able to just have decent insurance and just the health disparity 
just being, I can't even say the disparity of the two separate, excuse me. Um, but with both of those, I feel like um, not only are the kids stressed out, the teachers, the um, parents, and just the staff in general, um, we already see politically what they're doing as far as making mandates on one portion and some not even following the mandates at all. But my question to our mental specialist slash therapist and counselor is for me to say, what do you think are some daily stress relievers for not only the kids, but parents and just the family as a whole that they can do? Because it's not going to change the dynamic of what's going on every day. What's some things that maybe can help them as they get ready for school or work and to leave some of those things at home maybe? That is such a good question. Um, I think it's so unfortunate that we are experiencing a global crisis that is really connecting all of humanity. And we have such inhumane responses um, from the top. You know, from, from, from the beginning of all of this, it started out as a very inhumane response. And of course, it had to do a lot with the leadership that we were dealing with at the time. And so now we've kind of snowballed into this very, very huge, large space. The one thing that I always say to parents is that um, govern your home, govern your home and allow the decisions that you make in your home to be preeminent as to what your child is going to do and as to what your family is going to do um, as we are continuing to find better ways to manage this crisis, right? So. If masks are mandated in your home, if, you know, the old folk used to ask for me in my house, we're going to serve the Lord as my first doctor. He said, ask for me in my house. I can't tell you what you're going to do in your house. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, I can't, I can't govern what happens in your home. But ask for me in my house, we get vaccinated when we can. Ask for me in my house, we wear masks when we're out in public and we're unable to socially distance. Um, ask for me in my house. We ask questions of other parents and other people in our community as to whether or not they've been vaccinated or what their protocol is in their home before we allow our children to participate. As for me and my house, we talk to the coaches and the other um, auxiliary staff members at our school and we ask them what the policies are. As for me and my house, if my daughter is going to participate in cheerleading, it's fine. She just needs to have on a bedazzled mask as she's cheering. So one of the things that I tell parents to do all the time is to govern your home and to make the precedence of what works well for you and your family to be the precedence that they use in the school. So no matter if Governor Abbott or Governor DeSantos or whomever is trying to intimidate schools into how they do masks, if masks are required for you, then you let your child know that they are required to wear a mask when they're at school, when they're in the classroom. And you go from there um, because wearing a mask is not and getting vaccinated is not going to harm anybody. It's actually going to do the work of keeping us safer from a virus that we understand responds or we can we can lessen transmission when we take those precautions. So wearing a mask doesn't really hurt anybody for people who are saying, you know, well, I can't breathe with a mask on. Um, you lying, but okay, that's fine. That's fine. If that's if that's the stance that you're going to take, that's, that's absolutely okay. But I just think when parents take the responsibility to lay the foundation work and govern what they want to happen in their home with their children, what it does is it creates this thing called safety for our kids. 
And what it does is it creates also this thing called consistency. So your children have an opportunity to see that there is a consistent message coming from my home that says when I'm out that this is what I am supposed to do. And we do that for the safety of themselves, for their classmates, their teachers, and for everybody when they get home. So I have a question on that. So what if you have two parents that's giving conflicting, uh, how was the word? I lost the word, but conflicting, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know. Conflicting yeah. household. Just yeah, like yeah. one parent believes yeah. this and the other parent doesn't. Because it's, I'm not even going to, in my household it's kind of like that because like, me and my husband, like, I'm like, we need mask, need this. And then he's on the other hand saying, like, well, a mask ain't going to do nothing. It ain't going to stop you from catching this. It ain't going to do this. So it's like my kids then in turn are like, he either doesn't want to wear wear mask to school. And then he's coming home and saying, well, the mask ain't going to do anything. And, you know, so it's like, what do you, you know, how do you handle that? <laughs> that, is, that is such a good question. And... Um, without us just getting really, really into couples dynamics here. And it's, listen, this is, this, is, this is not uncommon because to assume that because you're married to a person or you are in partnership with someone and that you're going to agree all the time, that is just unrealistic and it's not true. Um, the one thing that I will say is to sit down with your husband and ask him, let's really get to the meat of the question and say, how best can we come to a compromise on how we are going to keep our children safe. Right now we have a young person that's in the schools and let's look at the cost, let's look at the risk cost benefits of him keeping the mask on in school and him not. Okay, let's say he doesn't wear his mask and he gets ill. Let's look at the mounting medical costs that can result as a result of us having to care for him and make sure he gets the best medical care as opposed to a 30 cent mask that he can just wear in school. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't do, if you say the masks aren't gonna do anything, let it just, okay, let's see that. Let's see what happens. But I think one thing that parents can do is come together and have a real discussion amongst yourselves, not in front of your children, because you won't always wanna show a united front in front of your children. And that's with any issue in your marriage and any issue within your family. So when you create a united front between mom and dad, between the leaders of the home, that uni- yet unity is, ultimately going to trickle down to what creates a safe space for our kids. So even in talking to your husband and saying, baby, okay, if you don't feel that the mask is going to work, our child right now is not eligible for a vaccine Vaccine if he's underage, if he's under the age of 12, he's not yet, you know, been approved to, to have a vaccine. What then is your, how then do you perceive that we should keep him protected? Do we keep him at home? Do we, What is your solution? Instead of us fighting and kind of um, you know, going back and forth with each other about whether or not the mask is helpful. I would like to hear what your suggestion is going to be. Of course, outside of the earshot of the children, um, I like to call it a little bit of pillow talk. Um, and, and, and let's come to a united front because I want us, especially in this most uncertain time, for the past year and a half, we have been in the middle of something we have never experienced before. And I think that the children need, we need the sense of safety and unity in our home. So let's kind of have a conversation about it. Yes, and I'm very big on giving numbers. Like, just be like, um, you know, it's 4.5 billion people that has had this mm-hmm. virus. And it's a certain amount, you know, it's 60, I think it was um, 649,000 people that have died so far nationwide. So when you think about 
I mean, especially not nationwide, just in the United States. So when you think about just that in the United States, don't add your kid to that number. It's a, it's a lot of straightforward conversations that you can have with your spouse. Mm-hmm. I don't have one, but I know it's some straightforward <laughs> conversations that you can have with your spouse, <laughs> yeah. friends, and folks. Because not only in the household, but people have mm-hmm. roommates, people have friends, and people want to bring people into your house, into your space, and oh, you're yeah. not comfortable with that. So it's it's... Even though it's a, a family dynamic, it's a world dynamic, mm-hmm. it's a person dynamic, it's a friend-to-friend yeah. dynamic. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm going to throw a little plug in here on behalf of Drifters Insurance. We're, you know, um, I have a girl. And her name is Sharita Edwards, and she owns this insurance company. <laughs> it's amazing because I'm a part of the family now, and I just want to say you can make some, some great decisions. You can either get this life insurance policy that you're going to get with Drifters Insurance, and file that policy when something happens to a family member because you decided not to wear your mask. You decided not to get vaccinated. And the mm. people that are in the hospitals right now are those that are not vaccinated. So it, it's very it's a very easy story to tell because when people try to bring up... When people have died of the vaccine, pull up how many. And let's pull up how many people have died from non-vaccinated yeah. COVID risk living your life in the streets and not being vaccinated. Mm. And then you're in the hospital taking up an ICU bed. So you want to make sure that that's something that you really take into consideration. So mm-hmm. everything that I say the doc has said, and also Rita has said, just all that is very important to put all of those into perspective because everybody's space is valuable. Everybody's mm-hmm. life is valuable. And so I think um, listening to the political mandates and listening to some of the things that are lack thereof is really putting your, your valuable life in someone else's hands because you're going based off of what they're saying instead of based off of what you really know either is right or what you're supposed to be doing to protect the only body in life that you have. Right. And then you have to have a lot of those who are actually just scared to take the vaccine. And yeah. it's like... And that's okay. I think I think when we do our due diligence to really give information and not to shame people for having... Um, you know, concerns about it. It, it does us. It, it does something different. Um, again, let's be as empathetic and humane as possible. It's okay that you have, you know, concerns about taking a vaccine. Um, I think again, we are an age where everyone is getting information from social media sources, and they're not vetting some of those sources. And so, because we hear it and it's it's repeated several times we then um, take it on as being truth. And instead of actually doing research and understanding what the contents of a virus is and what the con- what, what makes up a virus, what genetically makes up a virus, why, what, why is that important to how the research have been, has been done over years with other viruses, that, that viruses are not quote unquote new, but they're oftentimes variations of other viruses that have already that we've already been exposed to and those viruses has given us information to study about the ones that we are experiencing now and because of that yes. it's research <laughs> over several times that that gets us to the point to where we can have a vaccine right so having giving information and not shaming people for not knowing is going to be more helpful than saying well you know you you drinking that flat tummy tea and you don't even know what's in there. Okay, well that that could be true, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's some truth to that. We put a lot of things in our pocket that we don't really know the specifics on. But just finding a space of being compassionate with people, mm-hmm. find some sense of compassion and, and and understand that there are some people who specialize in misunderstanding. And so when you find those people who are choosing not to understand 
you shake the dust off and you move to the next person who's earnestly looking for um, information that could be that they need in order to make a decision for themselves. Ooh, Doc, you just made me think of something else. Uh, okay, so I also want to, I just I also want to talk about like anxiety because me being a single yeah. person, I get around people and be like, uh, are you sick? You know, like do you have the right? You coughing too much? You ain't got your mask on? Where are you? You know, so that just yeah. and I know that's an anxiety disorder. It has to be because yeah. I be like frantic, want to go back to my car. I'm gonna wait till you go on in, and then I'm gonna wait, and then I'm gonna go in. Like it's been that type of thing, kind of crazy. Yeah. What are some um disorders or anxiety like things or even? Different, different types or something that you can notice that's like, you know, I need to go to a, a specialist and see if this is something I need to get taken care of or if it's something I need to char- start adding to my regimen as far as medicine is concerned, just different things like that. That's a good question um, because I think when we talk about anxiety, um, there are different types of anxiety and I think that's that's gonna there's there's a there's a, a lot to, to go into that mm-hmm. but I'm just gonna talk about just anxiety in general um, because oftentimes the base of anxiety is the word fear and then when we hear fear right so there's been a lot of memes and mantras you know faith over fear um, live your best like don't fear nothing well there is a healthy component of fear that actually keep us keeps us safe right so because I'm afraid to harm myself um, I'm not going to jump in front of a car on I-30, right? So there's a level of fear that actually keeps us, that keeps us safe and, and, and causes us to protect ourselves from impending danger. Mm-hmm. When that fear, though, now becomes the driving force behind your emotions, behind your decision-making, um, then we may have a concern that we're dealing with anxiety. So if you're, if any of your listeners, and this is just a real general kind of um you know, just general descriptors of, of some things that may, um, if you're having, and it, this is going to be general again, because you can see this both with anxiety and depression and some other um, mental health concerns. If you're having difficulty sleeping, um, if your thoughts are always racing, if you find that you cannot sleep at night because your body, you, you can't turn it off. Some people have described it as having maybe a thousand tabs open on your phone and all of them running at the same time and you're unable (laughs) yeah you're unable yeah you're unable you're unable to find this place where you can close the tabs and your mind is kind of at ease um sometimes you it can be characterized by panic where you'll have these anxiety um spaces where your heart is racing um maybe you you feel very very tense sometimes closed in sometimes um feeling uneasy um, in a lot of spaces, um, but but these are these are symptoms that have been happening over a period of time. Um, so, so so a lot of times people will often say, "Well, this is just how I am. I worry a lot." If worry seems to be the constant and persistent emotional response to what's going on around you, and you say things like, "I worry about everything," um, if you have this constant need to try and figure out what's happening in the future. Um, well, what if this happens? Lots of what ifs. Well, what if that happened? What if, what if, what if, what if? If you find yourself real futuristic and you're having a really hard time with kind of staying present and you're like, well, this could happen. That sh- that possibly will happen. Well, maybe this will happen or that kind of kind of start to kind of ask yourself some questions. And I will say that the last year and a half has not be- has has been the catalyst mm-hmm. to a lot of anxious feelings. So sometimes people may have been feeling anxiety prior to us, you know, experiencing this pandemic. 
And now that the pandemic is here, with us having less opportunity to do the things that I call um, healthy detractors or distractions, mm -hmm. so things like commuting to work, things like actually going into the office, going to the movies, going to the mall, um, going, you know, being able to do, having good happy hours, you know what I'm saying? Oh, like just, but we weren't able to get with our girlfriends and get with our guy friends and hang out. Like those were some of the things that was helping us to to distract ourselves mm -hmm. from the main emotional concern that's going on. Yeah. But I can tell you as a therapist that I've seen my practice increase exponentially since the pandemic because when there is no distraction and now I have to sit with and deal with my own emotional self, now I'm going, oh my gosh, I haven't thought about that in years. Oh my goodness, I am worried a lot. Oh my goodness, I can't sleep. Um, I'm having difficulties eating. I'm crying all the time. I'm having crying spells and I don't know why I'm crying. They just, it, the, the tears just seem to come from nowhere. Like all of these things, it's always a good time to talk to a therapist. Yes. But I think after you've had an opportunity to speak with a clinician, a therapist, um, and if they recommend that you talk to a psychiatrist about medication um, to be, you know, to be open about it. I am not a medication first therapist. I'm a behavioral therapist first. So I like to have a few sessions with the person. But there are some times where someone will come in and they'll sit on the couch with me and I can almost immediately um, tell that they are dealing with some generalized anxiety concerns and that the symptoms now have become so overwhelming that they're having a hard time with daily functioning, just getting up in the morning just completing tasks at work, having a difficult time concentrating, having a hard time transitioning from one task to the next, going through a whole entire day and not having completed anything and everything, there's, everything is always hanging on something else and nothing is really getting done. And then I'm like, okay, so now your symptoms are kind of exasperated. Let's handle those symptoms and then I can kind of give you some coping skills that's going to be able to help you in your daily, daily spaces. Oh, that, I love that's that. That's, I love it. Ooh, girl. Hit, hit some spots. I think I'm going to make that. Yeah, a, whole, a whole spot and a half. And so, let me tell you, I'm a therapist with a therapist, right? So I see a therapist. I have my regular sessions with my therapist. I am very open about that. I'm very open about the necessity for me to maintain and to monitor my own mental health and mental wellness. Um, even throughout the pandemic, I was doing quite a bit of media during that time. And um, that time actually opened doors for me that I know would not have otherwise been um, available to me prior to the pandemic, right? And I and I see that a lot with a lot of clinicians. Like I've been on several news shows and I've done, you know, podcast interviews and I've done IG lives with actors and first ladies and, and, and newscasters. Like I've been I've been I've been doing a whole bunch of that in 2020. And then finally I stopped and I was like, girl, you are burnt out. You are tired. Um, and on top of that, I was seeing about 30 clients a week and it was just a lot. And so um, at the beginning of 2021, I just felt um, like the Lord was giving me an opportunity to rest. And so 2021 was very quiet for me, almost uh, almost a complete opposite of it because I wasn't doing anything. I think this is probably made my first or second um, interview of the year. And I was like, what happened? Like, am I, and, and, and so, and it was just, it was just, you know, the Lord is just like, no, it's time to rest now um, because I have some other things that I have for you to do and I need you to get a rest in. So we we were out here being human like you guys. We were, we were helping and being human at the same time. 
We were seeing our therapists. We were sleeping. We were drinking our green tea. We were doing yoga. We were walking. We were stretching. We were, you know, trying to keep our mental health together. So um, I'm just encouraging even my clinician friends out there, if you're listening, sit down for a minute and stop. Um, You're not Superman, Superwoman. Go talk to a therapist yourself. Yes, that's some good information, child, because I was just just speaking of like um, taking care of yourself and taking the time and the break. um, We're going to go into celebrities dealing with not only mental health, but also addictions lately. I've noticed like not only are they not taking the time for themselves to actually take that break. There, they were a lot of celebrities um, that we've been watching and just seeing on social media have just been running trying for the check or running for the bag, as they say, in 2021. And a lot of them didn't take that 2020, 2020 time to like build up what you needed, invest in what you needed to do so you could rest during this time. Um, a lot of them were struggling as much as a lot of people in the world were struggling at the same time. Um, but I noticed from comedians like Faquan Johnson was found in New York and three other comedians mm-hmm. that were close to like Lunell and Sherry Shepard that was found dead in his apartment from a fentanyl overdose. Just the same in New York, Brooklyn, as Michael K. Williams from The Wire. Um, mm. He was found dead in his apartment from a fentanyl overdose from other drugs as well. Um, we even had some Disney characters that were also found um, on a fentanyl overdose. And so now a lot of a lot of police departments are doing extensive uh, background work or investigations on this fentanyl craze that's going on because a lot of celebrities are passing away now. Um, I mean, mm. there's been people in our in our family and neighborhoods and stuff like that that have passed away from drug overdose for years. But now it's a pandemic slash um, um, a period of everybody's taking things that that are normally for you to just get some assistance to help get you out the bed or whatever the case may be, or dealing with any problems, but now they're taking it as a street drug and it's starting to kill a lot of people and affect them. Um, So my question is, um, even though you answered how important rest is and taking that time, but do you think celebrities are finding that that rest that they need or finding that peace of mind? Um, Because they basically commit suicide. Yeah, it's 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 a it's it's really really bad, and I would like to you know first offer my condolences to the families and to the the, the people who love those individuals. Um, and it's it's a very very difficult thing, and I I say all the time that all of us are no matter how much money you have or how much money you don't have or anybody who's in between, we're all dealing with a level of stress mm-hmm. in our lives that. Um, that, that we, we're trying to work through. Everybody's trying to work through these spaces. And yes. um, I, I I am just, just in, in the last couple of weeks alone, and I didn't know, um, what is it, Faquan? Is that what it was? Yes. Did he pass yes. away? Um, yeah, actually, um, from what it says, is um, Faquan Johnson was found dead and three other um, comedians uh, with him mm. that also did drugs that same day at a party were all found mm. dead at three separate locations. Um, two of them were in the hospital that went to the hospital and they were, um, I think, on life support until the end mm-hmm. of this week. So I think it was a total mm-hmm. of um, four of them, him and then mm-hmm. he's one of the main comedians in um, L.A. area. But the other three was comedians as well. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, he was definitely just, just a very tragic situation, tragic, right? um, even with Michael K. Williams, mm-hmm. just a very tragic situation. And um, again, I would hope that our society starts to hold a different kind of space of compassion and empathy for those who have been dealing with um, addiction on any level. 
um, be it opioid addiction, be it, you know, um, street drug addiction, um, you know, um, because I think, you know, now more so than ever, and it's not like, I don't think it's, I, I say now more so than ever, but even as I think back to the 60s when the craze was party drugs, um, I think the, 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 the difference between what's happened, what happened then and what happened now is access to the lives of these individuals um, because now everybody is on social media and we have created a very open space for there to be experimental spaces. And even with our young people, um, with us allowing and, you know, and how we glorify the use of marijuana um, in ways that are non-medicinal and saying that it's not an addictive drug. And really and truly, it really is. And we don't have these very open conversations with our young people about what happens when we allow, um, when we introduce drugs into um, a way of life. And most of it is just because we don't have the proper ways of coping with emotional stress and distress. Um, So even when we talk about Shakari and um, how her situation has unfolded, um, with us needing, again, to find spaces of compassionate empathy, because a lot of times people are trying, everybody is looking for an answer for some sort of internal peace. Mm-hmm. And we allow ourselves to see people as human and as a part of the, the, the chain of humanity. It gives us an opportunity to be a little bit more compassionate mm-hmm. about what people's situations are. That people, and again, we are self-preservation is our number one thing that we do instinctually by nature. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be an addict. Nobody wants their lives to be controlled and dictated by an urge that they feel is uncontrollable. Nobody wants to be uncontrollable, right? Everybody wants to have some sense and some level of control over their lives, over their destinies. And then when they resort to using um, drugs for whatever reason, we have to know that it's not just because. It's always some sort of underlining thing. And I think what really connects us back to humanity is when we stop judging behaviors and we start investigating the whys behind what people do. Okay, why? Why would four um, you know, comedians sit down and decide that fun or whatever is to, to, to get into an opioid situation? What's going on? What's going on with us when we are um, allowing these spaces to be what is um, what we are now seeing as being fun and what needs to be done. What's going on? What's happening? We are moving so far from you know foundation and, and centering that we've got to kind of get back to those spaces where we're finding healthy ways of coping with our emotional distresses. Yes, yes. my goodness. And then when it comes to also celebrities, speaking of like mental health, and I know Sharita brought up relationships earlier, how do we... Um, we or people that have relationships or married or even dating date someone with mental illness and I'm just going to give some examples like um, Britney Spears is one that's been popular and crazed in the um, mental health world as far as family having conservatorships over her life for over 15 years 13 years of some sort and now she's finally getting that freedom but of course when you have someone taking over your life for a certain amount of time normally people put in perspective it's mental health um, it's same with Kanye West where his wife um, at the time 
um, was dealing with a lot of, he was dealing with a lot of mental health, refusing treatment, probably haven't been on treatment, um, but you see their family lives play out on live TV, um, as, yeah. as well as Jennifer Lewis, where she's, she's an active spokesperson for mental health, talk about medications and stuff like that. And you have different journalists, but I know a lot of these celebrities are big spokespersons without them knowing that they're spokespersons for different things, yeah. but especially mental. Um, how do we, how should we handle that when we have relationships where your partner that has mental illness refuses or just don't take treatment um, and maybe know about their illness? I think a part of, a part of our understanding of, uh, I, to be honest with you, I think that the public, even though we're talking more about mental health, we are taught we're not really talking as much about mental illness and those are really two different genres they're, they're two different topics um that need to have two different levels of um of attention paid to them all of us have mental health right all of us is responsible for caring for our mental health and not all of us are mentally ill not all of us have a mental illness most times when we hear the word mental illness some of it is diagnosed and that's another part. Is this is this a formal diagnosis, or are we looking at behaviors and we are assessing that there is a mental health concern based on what we see, but there hasn't been necessarily a formal diagnosis? So that's another part of it. Another part of it is when we say someone is dealing with a mental illness and they are refusing treatment, I think that speaks to our lack of understanding about what mental illness is, because mental illness, a part of the characteristic oftentimes of the illness is that they that that not wanting treatment is a part of the of the overall diagnosis so it's one of the markers that we use in order to even determine that an illness is presented mm -hmm. right so um as i spoke earlier in the case of my sister a part of her illness is that she um has a hard time with staying on her medication not because she doesn't want to be medicated but the illness itself dictates that once you get to a certain level of cognitive um, comprehension, you feel as though you don't need it anymore. I'm okay, but that's a part of the psychosis that comes with the illness. And so I think sometimes, even when we look at Kanye in his situation, um, and we, we we look at just the way that his, his life is being, again, played out in the public eye, we have to, because we are not privy to whatever that formal diagnosis may be, we don't know what it is, we have to be really careful about saying that, oh, you just don't want to get treatment, you're refusing treatment, okay. um, because a part of that is a characteristic fundamentally of what the illness presents as it's presenting itself. Yes. And again, I'm not speaking specifically to Kanye's situation because I haven't had an opportunity to speak with him or to do any work with him, but I'm just saying overall when we talk about mm -hmm. illness, the mental illness part, we have to be careful about labeling people as not wanting to get better or not wanting seek help because a part of that um that that um distortion of thinking if you will for lack of a better term is a all is a characteristic part of the yes. illness itself so we just have to be mindful of that um in in terms of speaking to listen anxiety is the most common diagnosed mental illness around the world, mm -hmm. around the world right so many of us are already engaged in a relationship with someone who may be experiencing some form of mental illness, whether it's diagnosed or undiagnosed. The likelihood that we are loving, living, learning, laughing, and growing with an individual 
who has not at some point or is currently dealing with some mental health concern is probably slim to none. And so a lot of times, particularly when you are in partnership with someone, um, I like to say that the partner needs to make sure that they themselves are maintaining their own mental wellness and that whether your partner is formally diagnosed or you feel like, oh my gosh, something is going on with my husband, my wife, my partner, um, they're, they're not the same, they're sleeping more, and, and you bring it to their attention, just, just, just be cognizant that, you know, sometimes they may not be as receptive to hearing that because oftentimes they doubt adopted that as being a part of their personality, right? Well, I just sleep a lot. Well, I'm just that all the time. This is just who I am. This is just how I am. I've just never been really a happy person. And you're like, well, I'm kind of seeing that there's a little bit of a decline going on. At that point, it's always a good opportunity for you as the other partner to then start to seek your own counseling, your own therapy, so that you can gain tools on how to continue to, one, maintain your own personal wellness and balance, and two, how do I best assist my partner in in, in addressing their own uh, mental health concerns? Y'all, I'm looking for a partner, so I'm taking all this information in, <laughs> I'm writing it down, so I can yes, be ready yes. for the future. You know, I want to make sure I'm doing everything that I need yeah. possibly to make sure yeah. that my, my baby come on into my life and enhance yeah. what I already yeah. have. And you know, she's giving me all the right tools, giving me all the right words to use. So you can't be using you crazy, and you because that's what we use in our neighborhood. You got you got to you got to stick with trying to figure out the mental illness of the person, or mm -hmm. the mental health, or mental education for yourself. She just gave you all three of those in one in one factor. You can go get educated by another therapist to get the knowledge that you need. Or you're going to realize what the mental health stages that the person is on because that's who you love and it's, it's supposed to be the death do you part. Yeah, because if you keep continue like going down the wrong, not trying to figure it out, eventually it'll take a toll on your mental state. Oh, it absolutely will. And I don't, listen, even what we have to understand is that when we, when we become intimate in relationship with another person, it is inevitable that whatever they're dealing with, be it their traumas from childhood, be it um they're you know stressed on their job or whatever is going on in their current life you know we will be naive in thinking that what our partners are going through isn't going to ultimately impact what we go through and how what we feel and and, and what that because because at that point we are attempting to merge lives and, and merge these emotional spaces and we have to be mindful of the fact that what my partner goes through i too go through as well um, and then the, and the goal of that is to make sure that we have good tools, coping skills, both individually and collectively in order to be able to deal with life's challenges. Mm -hmm. Every couple goes through challenges and every couple goes through issues and concerns, whether you are Kim, uh, Kim Kardashian West and Kanye, or if you are John and Joe Johnson down the, uh, the street or, you know, if you are a, a couple that's in church or if you're a couple that's agnostic or if you, whatever your concern, all of us are dealing with something. I was getting my nails done a couple weeks ago and uh, my nail tech, she is Vietnamese and she was speaking to her husband and I could, because I didn't understand exactly what was being said, but she was very demonstrative in what she was saying, right? So she was, and I was like, and so when, when he left at the room, she says, oh, Tori, I am so sorry. He just made me so mad. And I just said to myself, child, uh, I find that they husbands in every culture, in every language, and they just mad. Because there's a commonality there that we are all in a space where we are in partnership and we are in relationship. 
but we're trying to make it work and we're trying to kind of keep ourselves together. So um, don't be ashamed to go seek help if you are a couple, um, you know, and, 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 and try and do your very, very best to create um, peaceful spaces for you guys to grow, grow in. I love that. And speaking of just being in common, and she just educated me on something, you guys. When, when she was talking about um, not, because I thought this was just a cultural thing, and I'm going to say it in the best way I can, but you know, growing up, all your family always said, oh, I'm not going to take that medicine, or I'm not going to the doctor, or I'm not doing this, and yeah. it would just be a, a non-factor. So they leg could be yeah. completely black, like a file off, but they're not going to the doctor and check on it, right? So yeah. growing up, yeah. when you had cousins with mental disabilities, and you thought, and they always like, oh, I should get a check for you, or what all, all those jokingly things. Yeah. As I'm yeah. growing up and thinking about it now, as I'm being educated by Tori Dixon, that I think, <laughs> I think that it's very um, important to not to not not only not give up, but also continue to educate yourself on self. Um, because I think one of the biggest things I took out of all of that is just being knowledgeable, being knowledgeable of self and knowing mm -hmm. yourself worse. So then you know yeah. Um, yeah. if anything is going on mentally, physically, or emotionally. Because it's not always just taking a pill and getting yeah. it done. It's, it's, it's more of the work. Yeah. Yeah, and I will say we have to give ourselves a little room, especially in the African-American community, um, and the, the distrust that we have with the medical profession, professions, you know, across the board from hospitals and nursing facilities to mental health. Um, I don't think it's that, you know, our gen, our, we really are the first generation that's really openly speaking about our mental wellness and how necessary it is in order for us as a community to be able to achieve some of the communal things that we want for ourselves as a community. That it's going to start with us adjusting our minds and getting our minds healthy. Um, when you talk about racial trauma, you talk about um, generational trauma, when you talk about um, um, financial trauma, um, when you talk about um, you know, economic trauma, all of these things our community has experienced and um, <clears throat> given the opportunity to, I think we would have wanted to discuss it, but the only thing we had was our local communities and really our churches. And so that was the brunt, that was where we went to go get our minds and our spirits right. And yeah, they may not have had all the tools but we have to give them credit for bring, getting us thus far. And now that we have clinicians that we can go to that look like us and understand that when you come in and my mom will be in that and I ask a question like, so is there any mental illness in your family that you know of? And they'd be like, well, you know, my uncle was special. Like you can say that to me and I'll know exactly what you mean by special like, because we really didn't necessarily talk about that stuff in our community. We had code words for it. Our granny used to take a nerve pill. Well, what's a nerve pill? Why would one need to take a pill for their nerve? Because we're not thinking our nerves in terms of our emotional stuff. We're thinking our nerves in terms of our nerve endings. Right. And we're like, no, nerves. We're talking about, oh, you getting all my nerves, or my nerves are bad, or my, my mama nerves always were bad, or, you know, that that kind of thing. We, we, we can, uh, you can say that to me, and I can understand what that is and how that what that looks like, you know. But but we have to give ourselves credit for getting here, and 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 making this conversation a, a topic of discussion around the dinner table now. Now that we are able to have clinicians that look like us and who understand us and who's having the very same world experience and, uh, as we're having, so that's going to be helpful. Ooh, y'all, she gave us a whole word, <laughs> a whole word. So let's go and switch it around a little bit. I'm gonna go back to political just a teenage. And we're going to go local. Mm -hmm. 
because mm-hmm. some things have been happening in Texas that I really want to bring up to all of our local conversationalists so y'all can be aware. If you are, have been sitting under a rock, don't know what's going on in the state of Texas, and you might be another state dealing with a hurricane or just dealing with life, um, just think about this. Right now in Texas, they're doing a big abortion ban that was just approved last week mm-hmm. or so. And it, at, mentally, it wouldn't <clears throat> affect men as much as you would think it would as far as it affecting women. Um, but if you love women like I do, it should probably affect you. It's just as much as it's affecting the women that you love around you, right? Um, so for me, um, just giving you guys a background, Texas passed a law that bans abortions across the state. Um, to the point where if a person even hears you having a conversation or talking to someone about abortion or planning on doing abortion out of state, that person or people around you could sue you just based off you having a conversation or getting educated on abortions. Now, my question to our mental specialist today would be, how do you think this ban would not only affect women in general, but also those have, that have been raped or abused or, or any of those things that could happen in the future? Oh, I think we just really have to take a collective side um, when we talk about the the conversation of abortion and in 2021 that we are still using governmental, um, um, you know, governmental pressures to um, attempt to monopolize and to manipulate the bodies of any individual, right, that we are enacting laws um, to to and, 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 and the issue is is that we cannot legislate morality. Mm-hmm. If for whatever reason this is a moral issue for you, and you're saying that morally I think abortions are wrong, um, legislation has never been able to control moral decisions, yes. and that even mm-hmm. goes all the way back. If you're a Bible person, if you go back to the Ten Commandments, it still didn't work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So. There's these commandments and it was trying to legislate, if you will, the morality of a group of people. And even then it didn't work. And somebody will say, well, Tori, how do you know that it didn't? Well, because God had to have a plan. He had Mm -hmm. to bring Jesus into the picture. If this is your belief, it's mine. So this is why I'm using that as an example. Right. That's how we know it didn't work. And even he came and that still is not legislating morality. So. I think that um, as a society, and unfortunately, it's really hard to get all of us on the same page really about anything. We talked about masks, so there's no way we can really get to the point where we're talking about abortion and it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. To the woman, I would say, who has to, because one, the fact that you can sue me if I'm speaking out aloud about an abortion lets me know of your narrow perspective because no one's really sitting at a brunch table and saying, so what abortion are you going to have today? And let's just do this. Just go, well, I want bacon, eggs, and a side of abortion. Because no one's really out talking about this because there is already a shroud of shame that is accompanied with a woman who has to make a decision um, in this manner. So no one's out here throwing an abortion parade and we're not TikToking and and boomeranging the fact that we're having an abortion because there is always an internal struggle at some point for for a woman on her own or for a couple together to have to make a decision of this magnitude. So for anyone who is out there thinking that people are just you know hip hip and hooray and let's get an abortion, 
you are very, very narrow-minded in your understanding of both the psychological and emotional weight that such a decision carries. So let's just put that out there, right? Mm-hmm. Secondly, for the woman who has to make this decision for whatever reason, um, I want to say to you that I am sorry that the state's legislation and the legislators and the elected officials have failed you on so many levels um, because to think that women are using abortions as methods of birth control is so short-sighted. Again, um, there are many medical reasons and other reasons that abortions are being had. But let's talk about the fact that it doesn't just start with abortion. You also have many of these legislators who's blocking um, educational resources so that we can have open, honest discussions about sex and about sexuality and about um, about what that looks like and how do we create safe spaces for people. If you believe that abortions are happening as a means of birth control, then why don't we have conversations, healthy conversations yeah. in our educational systems about healthy sex lives and about making healthy choices about sex so that then now we can possibly, if you feel that there's a correlation, lessen the number of abortions that, that, that you feel is being had. Let me also say that I have never, well, I won't say never again, if you are a believer, um, you will know that the only immaculate conception was that of Mary and Jesus. And so that means even today in 2021, if a woman is going to get pregnant, she's not going to do it by herself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Amen. And so how do we legislate one part of the equation and not the other? So what are we going to do? Because women are not out here getting pregnant by themselves. Exactly. Why is it that women are then, uh, you know, legally required to have this, you know, mandate on, on their bodies? Again, if we are having healthy conversation about, you know, lessening abortion, then we also have to talk to men, too, about their sexual health and about their responsibility to um, to create a new, a different moral code over how they are distributing themselves. Men can have babies until they die. There is a limit on when a woman can have a baby and even on if she can have one based on what the overall reproductive health is for her. So I think that there is a lot of conversation that needs to be had. Yes. And I will say for every woman, um, if you if this is a, a something, seek some seek counseling, seek seek therapy. There are some HIPAA requirements, and we can't disclose certain information. Mm-hmm. And just do the best you can to seek seek help in that in that space. Yeah, because okay. I totally agree. Because like when you say it's so much other discussions, because then when you think about it, now that you put this ban in place. So these women aren't able to have these abortions. So it's not like they know they can't raise this child. That's the sole purpose, mostly of why they do what they do. So it's like, do I give the baby up for adoption? And then you think about it. Now are these adoption agencies going to get get filled up? So these people who are out here protesting, are you guys going to be going down to these adoption agencies and adopting these kids that, that need homes? Like you're not thinking about the full picture of what goes on behind scenes because now you have a lot of kids placed in the agencies that need to be adopted or what if they never do and that right. tells puts a mental toll on these kids because then now they have to grow up in a, in a system yeah right a system that is ill-equipped mm-hmm. to to take care of and to handle the load of what happens the one thing that we have yet to really see and as i'm 
Um, I, I, I'm not a sociologist, but I like to look at social dynamics in terms of how it impacts mental health and wellness. One of the things that we haven't talked about was how the system has been impacted since the pandemic and that those people who were once able to open their homes for children as foster um, homes and were healthy homes now are not financially able to do so um, because of their own financial conditions. So then what does that look like? I'm curious to see what the foster care system and what the social services system, because I know there has been an increase in the cause of child abuse, domestic violence, all those things have increased since the pandemic happened. Because let me tell you, one of the biggest assumptions that we've made in the last year and a half is that homes are safe. Yeah. And we assume that everybody goes home to a safe place because I'm at home safe and I'm working for home and I'm safe, but we don't know the woman or the man who those eight hours being at the job was their safe haven, was the was their way away from their abuser. That child who was leaving home, they that was a way away from their abusive parents. We make these very um, blanket assumptions about people's lives and how they're living. And guess what? We don't know. We don't know. So I'm curious to see how the system has been impacted by the pandemic and everything else that's been going on in the last. And speaking of being full filled up, I was thinking like all the parents that have already passed away from COVID and to the pandemic and then on top of it, they putting an abortion ban on top. And, and you know, it's so crazy because, you know, I always think political about everything. And I always think if you're doing an abortion, and me, I did the census this year, last year, whatever, and we were like, people of color were the highest amount of people in the United States. And we are one of the highest amount of people that's going to these riggedy abortion places. So now you're forcing us to have kids. And majority of the time, we've always been about the struggle and about the push through and about the making it. And the more you let us have them, the more we can produce doctors and lawyers and, and all that. And, you know, to me, I look at the bad, but I also look at the good. It's bad that these women are going to be forced to be in this predicament, but sometimes God put a blessing in your life when you didn't think it was going to be worth the, the time, you know? So even though it's a bad situation, God don't make no mistakes. And I feel that it, we people as a people, we always shake it up. So they might have the ban today, but tomorrow we be out protesting, and they'll be like, "Oh, switch it back now," you know. So it can it can change overnight. It's just just how how big we uplift the change that we want to see is one of the biggest things I yeah, think. If they start taking taking full advantage of those government assisted programs, they'll change. They'll change it quickly. <laughs> and I'm and I'm and I'm hoping that we start to put more put emphasis on creating life spaces Mm -hmm. that would allow for all of us to even make choices and make decisions that are that are healthier for us overall as an individual right so that we when we when we talk about human rights that we don't just start at the womb and then once the child is here then there's no recourse for then how we educate this child Mm -hmm. how this child lives whether or not this child is living in a food desert does this child have access to proper medical care um, that we that we are now allowing um, ourselves to create social spaces where we can raise healthy children um, even in a society where it may be a collective responsibility and we don't like collective responsibility because they call it socialism and fascism and all this other kind of stuff but the moment you start to regulate how children get here then you are you are indirectly requiring that there is a social response how we get this child from the womb to the tomb and it, it whatever that whatever that looks like you are inevitably creating a space where there has to be a social 
a collective social responsibility to care for this child. Because if the parents are saying we can't care for it, then that is inevitably saying then then we will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm gonna go to one more subject. You know, guys, I can't really let it go, y'all. I gotta do one more. One more, and I'm gonna gonna let her. It's a pretty big one. It's a pretty big one. We're gonna let her go after this. I promise, guys. Okay. Okay. Um. So this one is all about eating disorder, eating disorders, anorexia, and fat phobias. The reason this subject is coming to play is because we've had celebrities like Lizzo bring up fat phobia, bringing mental health and all that into the music industry of showing how she's actually being treated, of being a larger woman, doing some of the same things the smaller women are doing, but getting treated worse. Matter of fact, being ridiculed, being talked about, even being posted in magazines where she's online crying because how bad they have been talking about her in social media. Um, and then we have uh, other celebrities that have always talked about anorexia, trying to fit the mold, going to get surgeries to be just as small enough as small enough to be in the model scene and, and vice versa. Um, so my question, and also Sharita really came with this question, but I'm going to ask it on her behalf. Um, how should people handle these disorders um, and then handling people that's dealing with it on the outside? Let me, before you ask the reason yeah. why this, this question played a big role is because, you know, me, I'm a, a plus size girl mm-hmm. and I dealt with a lot of issues with this. And I joined an organization that's called My Biggest Beautiful and that really changed my life. <laughs> it really changed my life what's, because what's I had all of this. Um, handle before you get into the crying because I know you can get into it. So tell us where to find it because she's crying, you guys. <laughs> you might not be able to see it, but the tears rolling down her eyes. So that means she probably go follow um, Biggest Beautiful so you can actually get where these tears come <laughs> from from the back so you can see what we're going through and know what we're talking about because I like everybody to be in the know. So tell us where they can find yeah. um, On Instagram, My Biggest Beautiful. Um, and it's uh, Facebook, My Biggest Beautiful. Uh, <laughs> But this, it literally changed because I lost, I want to say pretty much all confidence in myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like this, <laughs> so this, this issue is definitely was, it's for me. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about it because it's something serious that, you know, a lot of women deal with. And yeah. you have those that are now confident in the skin they're in and they can do that. But then you have society that's out there letting them know, no, since you're not beautiful. Yeah. This is what beauty is. Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Hold up. Let's take a deep breath there. (laughs) I want to say thank you so much for sharing. Um, And I'm going to ask us to do just a collective deep breath. I want us to inhale gratitude. And I want us to exhale anxiety. That's a good one. Let's just take a moment to sit there. And um, sometimes I think we are so hurried that we don't want to address the emotion that we feel in a space. Yeah. And, you know, I want you to know that I am um, there with you, that I am I am sharing in your tears. I am sharing in your journey. I'm sharing in your moment. Um, and I thank you for sharing that with us. That was not an easy thing to do. It's not <laughs> It's okay to cry. It's okay to yes, cry. Yes, uh, yeah, and, okay. and I love 
for this to hear, but also see the emotion. And since y'all can't see it and you're hearing us, um, I have to explain the emotion because I want people to understand how serious we took this mental health time and start mentally thinking about our health. Um, so with her giving these one, two steps of just taking a deep breath of gratitude and releasing all the negative out, just take starting yeah. over, yeah. practice this every single time. You're going to see this posted consistently on our page of her voice just saying, take a deep breath and release it. But continue, continue, sorry. Thank you, thank you so much for that. I, um, because I think sometimes, you know, the one thing that I notice a, a lot about us is that we we have a hard time sometimes just dealing with the emotion that's not happy. You know, the thing that's not, you know, um, you know, if we're not happy and if we're not joyous, <clears throat> then people tend to shy away from wanting to share in a moment that's very, um, that could be very uncomfortable. But um, I want you to know that I share in this moment with you. Um, I too um, am considered a plus size woman. Um, and um, I believe I was probably plus size my whole life. Um, I was always a little bit bigger than the other kids in my, in my life, in my family, in my, in my school. I didn't know that I was bigger until I moved to the South. I was born in New York and I was raised in New York until I was about seven years old. And I didn't know that I was different because in New York, there's a different culture of bodies. Um, and I think that that plays a really big role in it. So growing up in New York, we saw all kinds of bodies. We saw, you know, the thick girls, we saw the thin girls, we saw the girls in the middle. Um, I can remember growing up and watching the UNITY um, video with Queen Latifah, and she's always represented the, the thicker woman um, in her videos, and she did it with such an amazing level of confidence, and she took great responsibility in how she um, and how she represented herself as a woman, but also how she represented herself as a plus-size woman, um, because she was an anomaly in that time. Um, even when you look at music videos from the 90s, she was a, she was an anomaly at that time. So just know that I share in that space with you. And so moving to the South and being called names and being teased, I was just thinking about that actually the other day. I was journaling and I thought about some of the names and some of the very degrading things that I had been called as a kid. And I remember um, being in elementary school and playing by myself and um, a lot because kids would tease me a lot. And even though I, um, I, I, I call myself being resilient at the time because I think I was a really resilient kid, but to look back at that eight, nine-year-old little girl and she was kind of sitting by herself and kind of lonely, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a difficult time for her. Um, and I believe all of what she is and all of who she was is all of who I am today. And so, sis, I'm going to tell you the exact same thing that um, all of everything that you have experienced is not going to go wasted in your journey. And whatever it is that you have had to face and whatever you had to go through in your time, it's going to be well worth the time. You will sow it in tears, but you will reap it in joy. And somebody else is going to um, have a better experience. They're going to have a better journey because of what you and I went through in those spaces. Um, one of the things when we talk about eating disorders, that we call them eating disorders, but another term that I like to use is disorganized eating. And the reason why I call we talk about it being called disorganized eating is because oftentimes we have created these very disorganized coping skills in our eating habits. And because they are not to the extreme where it's anorexic and I'm restricting all food or it's bulimic and I'm eating all foods, 
and regurgitating that. Um, we don't necessarily see our patterns as being disorganized eating. And so for the person out there who feels as if they can't live their life without either a 16-8 or um, an 11-14 fasting regimen in these, these unhealthy spaces where we are intermittent fasting and it's, it's in, that can be disorganized eating, um, where we are participating in extreme restriction, um, even, you know, be it, you know, some extreme form of keto dieting, extreme exercising, that's also a part of the disorganized eating categories, and that is irregular eating patterns that we have adopted into our spaces, even, even doing master cleanses um, for more than the recommended time. And so um, we have to be mindful of what that, what that looks like. I uh, also follow Lizzo on social media, and I'm going to be very honest with you if I can. Um, yeah. I'm going to be honest with you from a personal standpoint and both from a therapeutic standpoint and how I've had to, even within my own self, confront my own bias of my body. When I see Lizzo and she is expressing herself um, with her body and how she chooses to do that, at first it made me uncomfortable. Um, and I was like, I was like, oh, ooh, this is a lot. Like I was like, oh, this is a lot for me um, because this has on that thong and it's out and it's not perfectly round. And it's, 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 you know, when you look at her body, it's, it's her body and, you know, and she's really proud of that body. And it made me in my own body feel some type of way, right? <clears throat> Then I had to sit back and I had to sit back and I had to say, why is her expressing herself um, as she is? Why is that making you uncomfortable? And I know it's because even in my own personal life, in my own personal spaces, that I have been covering and shrouding myself behind the premise of being modest. Right, so I have used modesty as an excuse in many times in many spaces to create these very unhealthy um, responses and coping skills to my own way of, of working through and expressing my own body in the things that I see as being body positive for myself. And so it was such um, a blessing for me in many ways to see her and to watch her go through this evolutionary phase where she says, Hey, I've been a vegan for several years. I've been vegetarian and vegan for several years. And so overall, my body is healthy. It doesn't look like what you all perceive a healthy body to look like. But I've been eating for years. I've been exercising for years. And I think because, our again, our society plays a lot of tricks on us because the very people who shame those bodies are the very people who are doing everything to try and acquire um, certain features of it, and for and we have to we have to really be mindful of what we're calling healthy and what we're calling not healthy. Um, most people who are criticizing her bodies aren't physicians, and so they haven't done tests on her. They haven't done blood work. They haven't done anything. It's an assumption that people with a bigger body frame or who's heavier have more, um, you know, pre predisposing conditions than than people who don't. And that's not necessarily true. I have a girlfriend who's been a dancer all of her life and she takes high blood pressure medication. And she's probably maybe 125, 130 pounds at the most, had two babies. And even before her baby, she dealt with high blood pressure. I've never had a high blood pressure issue. 
Um, I've never had a cholesterol issue. Um, I exercise regularly. I do three miles three days a, a week. I eat well um, for, for the most part. I would say maybe 75% of my diet is a well-balanced diet. And so my body looks different than a, a, another person. And I'm okay with that. And I think when we get to that space that we have created a sense of peace within our own selves, that the body that I have, that God actually gave me a purpose and he used the temple that he gave me as being a part of the overall purpose of why I'm here on earth. That if he wanted me to be 5'2 and 120, he would have made me 5'2 and 120, but he made me 5'2 and 185. And I am I am working every day to to maintain a healthy body frame and to be healthy, not so that people can think I'm fine, not so that people, but so that I can feel good. I'm 44. I just turned 44 years old, and so now I. <laughs> When I say skin, it's skin don't crack. Skin don't crack. Another thing you can't see, podcasters. Listen, and let me tell you, the 40s has been the most amazing decade so far for me. Um, I turned 44, and so now when I wake up in the mornings, like before, you know, I was in my 20s, you could just pop off the bed and you'd be like, ooh, let's get it. But now I wake up, I'll be like, oh, child, wake up, good morning, take me a little minute. And so because, back over your life. Listen, I'll be looking back over my life and thinking things over, and I'm like, this. <laughs> yes. Listen, you do your three miles three days a week because you want to feel good. When I get up in the morning and I'm up by 6 a.m., and I'm walking by 6.30, and I'm done by 7 o'clock, and I've gotten my three, three and a half miles in. I feel good. My mind is in order. My body is in order. My limbs work well. My brain is ready to fully engage in the day that I have going. It literally makes me feel good. And so I participated in it, um, you know, more often than I do not. That's why I do what I do. And so I drink my water. I mind my business. I exercise, I make sure my edges are moisturized, and I keep it moving. <laughs> but let me just encourage y'all, love the life that you have in the body that you have. Um, yeah. Love it. My favorite time of the day, and I'm going to say this, I hope this is not TMI, my favorite time of the day is once I've gotten out of the shower, I've done my walk, I've gotten out of the shower, you know, I've you know, done my oil routine, and I'm in the mirror, you know, in my, in, my, in my undies, and I'm putting on my makeup, and I'm listening to worship music, and I am just looking at myself and I say, God, I am so thankful that the body that I have today is working in the way that you have ordained it for it to work. I thank you that nobody is putting my makeup on for me. I thank you that I can blink when I'm supposed to. I thank you that I can breathe when I'm supposed to. I thank you that I can lift my arms and my legs work and I can squat and I can move. My body is beautiful. I love my arms. Yeah. There's some extra meat going on up under there. And and I love the fact that there's some extra going on here right away. I love my thighs. I love my, I love my body. And I, I talk to her every day. And I say, girl, you are doing so good. And I thank you for showing up for me every day. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for not, for, 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 for not failing. Thank you for keeping me in tune that when something hurts, I know I need to, that pain is not an indicator for me to keep pushing. It's an indicator for me to stop and figure out what's going on with it. So I, I'm excited about this body that I have. And I hope that somebody listening to this would be excited too. And I hope that was awesome. Yes, because yes, that's something I had to do. I had to learn how to love all of me all over again. Because I, I, I did lose it after a while. You know, I had kids and life and losing jobs, losing parents. 
it just yeah. I lost two two fathers and I'm a stepfather and I lost my father. So life yeah. was just hitting me so much. And then my way of coping was eating. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I I crave snacks, something. So it's like I and I, I blew up. <laughs> and so it's like I, I didn't love myself, you know. Yeah. And so I had to just said I joined this organization. Shout out to Amber Franklin. You know, it did wonders and I seen these beautiful women plus size women with so much confidence. And I was like, wow, you know, and then the sisterhood, sisterhood bonded over these years within this organization. It just, it poured into me and it's what I needed, you know, God um, in spot places for reason. Cause I wasn't intending on joining this group that day. When I, went. I was actually just going with a friend who um, was going for something that Amber was having, um, like a little model call or something she was doing. And I just going for some support for my friend. But being there, it just, something came over me and I was like, this is where I need to be. And yeah. so I took those steps and I love myself now. <laughs> yeah, it's or such an amazing thing. Like, you could see me in that one piece, I cover up everything. I'll get out there in two pieces now. Now I'm not on this one, but I'm going to put a thong on here. I'm not that far out there. But, you know, I'm, Shout out to all of us, because I think there's so many people who assume that those of those women who have, you know, smaller bodies or bodies that are more socially conforming to what beauty is, that they themselves are not struggling in, in those areas. And so I my 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 hope is that we come to a point where we start to create loving environments for ourselves and we know that, you know, people will love us and people will not like us. And it's okay on both sides of those spectrums. And there's really nothing you can do to, and there's nothing that you should want to do to convince people otherwise, that we allow people the space to either want to be with us or not want to be with us. And when they've made their choice, we affirm that choice by allowing our actions to then line up with the decision that they've made. And so if you want to be here and if you want to love me, I'm going to be open to that. And if you choose that you don't, I'm going to be open to that as well. Because the last thing we need in this day and time is for people who don't want to be here to be here. Just just Mm -hmm. do your thing. I'm going to give you the freedom to authentically show up in your own self. And if that means that I'm not a part of your life, I'm going to respect that and I'm going to honor that. And I'm going to keep living and give you the permission to do the same. Yeah. And that, that's why I was most happy because it gave me all of that. You know, I'm for if I needed to just make my circle smaller, that's what I had to do. So it yeah. gave me that, uh, that skin thickness I needed. You know, yeah. um, you know, I, I was worrying about what people thought about me. This, no, I, really, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> oh, what liberty we have when we give ourselves permission. Yeah. To we are. Authenticity is probably one of the, the most missing of things in our relationship because we are so afraid. Because, And I think it's because we don't really present enough open spaces to allow people to be who they are. Let people be who they are regardless to whether or not that fits within the main frame of what you think they should be. Even this is going to work well, even with partners. I remember asking a question on my Facebook page. I said, do you allow your husband, your wife, your partner to show up authentically as themselves in your marriage? And so many people were like, oh my God, I can't believe you asked that question because that's such a good question because we have all these expectations of who we want our partner to be and how we want them to act and how we want them to behave. And it puts so much restriction on who they are at their core. And we lose out on the opportunity of loving them in the fullness of who they are. And we miss out on the opportunity of allowing them to love us in the fullness of who they are. 
are and in the fullness of who they can be. But when we, uh, when we, when we throw authenticity out the door, we do such a disservice to humanity. Like, sh- let people show up as who they are. And you have a choice to not want to participate, and they have a choice to not want to participate. But let people show up authentically as who they are. And somebody asked me that one day, too, like, why do I love my husband so much? And my answer to him was because he loves me for me, because he lets me be who I am. I said, I don't have to put on a, a, a when I'm with him in public, that's who I am with him at home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Should I offer freedom. Mm-hmm. And just yeah. speaking about being authentic, a lot of people don't know this, and just giving you podcasts or some um, visual of us, um, I used to be 320 pounds. Mm-hmm. I used to be a big, big guy. So I've got the phobia, the pet phobia that um, Lizzo was talking about, and especially with um, Tori as well as this being actively on TV, actively doing voiceover work, being seen on red carpets or being seen in premieres, and people will listen to your voice and be like, oh, he must be this person, be fine, and they see you like, oh, oh and you can see the all in their voice, and it's so hilarious yeah. because... It's five years, still doing the same career, still doing voiceovers, great carpets, premieres, and all that. And people see me now, and it's a whole different audience. Like, oh, oh, okay, what's up with you? Type of oh, you know. And it's yeah. it's so funny to hear both sides of it because I've been on the side of being 320 pounds and barely able to breathe going up two steps. Not mm-hmm. like that's two <laughs> steps. So I've been at that that wobbly wall thing and not knowing um, where your next meal gonna come, but you know what's coming because. You type of person that's going to eat, you know. So mm-hmm. I've been there, and I've also been to the point where I'm small, and people are like, "Are you okay? Are you sick?" You know, or you know, those questions that when you are healthy, they're looking for things for something to be wrong. So mm-hmm. mentally, you can't get over the the thoughts of what everybody else is thinking. So when I'm calling her the doc again, when she came up with the concept of being authentically you and loving yourself, as Sharita has said, and just caring more about self than what everybody else perceives for you to be can change your life. Yeah. It changes um, everything. Change it changes everything. Life. Yeah, and I, I always say you can, you know, we don't um preparation time is never wasted time. And when we prepare ourselves to be the best of who we are and showing up in our very best spaces, um, it's not wasted time. You know, we a lot of times, you know, people want to do a lot of the work externally and they want to do it out in the public. And I always say when you find that time to steal away and get on the inside and work on what's going on with you in your inner spaces, it does you it does you so much good. Um, with how you show up in the world and then how the world then shows up with you because a healthy a healthy a healthy viewpoint of yourself will give you a healthy perspective of the world a negative viewpoint of yourself or an unhealthy viewpoint of yourself will give you an unhealthy viewpoint of the world and oftentimes you will project onto the world what you feel about yourself so how you feel about you, you project that onto the world, and then that ends up being your worldview. And so we, we have to heal that inner space so that we can show up the best way that we can so that we are projecting the best of who we are in the world and thereby changing and creating a more healthy worldview. Ooh, did she preach y'all? <laughs> yes. She's preaching y'all. Y'all don't understand. Miss Tori <laughs> S. Dixon, you got to follow her on all her platforms. Now, I'm going to give her a chance to tell you all about herself before we let her go because she just gave us a full worship. And so if you want to come into worship with us, I didn't, I didn't do some talking to her that she probably wouldn't even expect. I'm like, that's a great question. Like, she wasn't expecting those questions. Because I brought celebrities into it and just transitioned into a question. I'm very, I love those. I love to be like, really? How do you make that be? 
Just like that. <laughs> so just like that. Miss, just like that. <laughs> I'm going to just to tell you a little about herself and what she has going on next so you don't miss anything she has in the works. So thank you so much again um, for allowing me this opportunity to be on your platform. I do not take it lightly um, when someone invites me into their home and into their space and into their hearts. I am so grateful for that. You could have chosen anybody else. You could have picked anybody else doing any other thing. And so I'm so very grateful that you guys have allowed me to be here. Um, thank you for all your listeners who's listening in. Follow me on at Wintory Talks. You can do that on Twitter and Instagram. Um, my Facebook page is Graceful Journey Counseling, so you can find me there. Um, if you are looking for a therapist in the Dallas area, I will tell you that my schedule gets full fairly quickly. I have some openings that's coming up here in the month of October, but please go to my website, www.gracefuljourneycounseling, all one word, .com. And if you want to set an appointment, you can click that orange request appointment button at the bottom of the page and follow the prompts to schedule your appointment. We do accept insurance. So if you go into the uh, frequently asked questions tab on my website, it'll be able to answer all those questions for you. I am currently working on launching a podcast called Wintory Talks. And so um, I believe that things happen that not only, you know, we talk about it a lot, but death and life is in the power of our tongues. And they who, whatever fruit you bear is that what the ones that you're going to eat of it. So I believe that when I talk, great things happen. I believe that when I say things, something happens, a life change, people see things differently, life happens. And I believe that I am going to say something that's going to be influential to somebody. So we're working on a podcast. I'm also working on a book. Um, that I've been doing for a little while. And so um, it's going to be talking about emotional management and how we do that and what that looks like and how do we find spaces to manage emotionally. It's going to be real practical. I'm working on that right now. Um, and again, I am I'm up for being um, a guest on podcasts, being a host on podcasts. I'm just excited about what the next step of my life is going to be. Yes. I've been feeling over this last eight, nine months that God is really pushing me into a transition. I don't know what's coming, but I know something good is coming. And so I'm trying to get my ducks in order, get my house in order. So if I had to say anything at the end of this, I will say that to your audience. Get your house in order. Because the old folks should say, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. And you'll be able to understand that every chance is not an opportunity. So sometimes when we are moving in spaces of desperation, we will look at every chance as being an opportunity and every chance is not an opportunity. So be able to grow your spirit of discernment so you'll know which chances are actual opportunities. And again, this has been a wonderful opportunity to spend and share space with you guys. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you, Thank you. 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 Thank no one knows I own the link agency and our agency always doing promotions and building productions and doing things to bring people together. Like she says, bridging a gap. So I'm going to bless you guys. If you haven't checked out Wintory Talks, she also has posted that she's hiring. So if you're a therapist and have a, have a license to, to bless others and to like enhance someone's life through mental education, mental health, and license to do so, she's hiring and looking for someone to bless someone's life. So if you can do that, Visit her page, visit her her um, website, and just put in an application to bless someone, especially because you're working for the culture. And yes. you know, the link agency is all about bringing in the black culture and bringing in politics, and then both of those are going to help you get for both. Yes. So, yes. with that being said, we thank, thank you, you, and we do love thank you, Victoria. Yes. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much, you guys. Be amazing today, okay? Yes. Thank you so much. Thank Bye. You. Bye. 
girl. Now, what did you think about Tori S. Dixon? Now, to me, I feel like I went through a therapy session. Yes. And I man. enjoyed it. Like, I it enjoyed every minute. Like, every minute. This this was dope. Like, everything. She, she hit on a lot of issues that, you know, really made you think. Mm, Especially, yeah. like she said, the, where she always starts is, where's the loss set? With yes. the grievance. And it don't just have to be about a person dying. And I'm when she's sitting there going through, I was like... She's so right, yes. you know? And I was like, I know yes. a lot of time when I um, talk about things or if I give advice to certain to people about their loved ones or the relationships or whatever, I always go to how they grew up. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that just made me, you know, affirm that, you know, that's where you start. You yep. start at the root of where, where you it, started. Because mm-hmm. that's where, where a lot of problems start. Yes. And it molds Trickles. you into how you're going to be as yes. you're going So I was like, well, and you know, I know I've dealt with a lot of loss mm-hmm. like um my parents divorced my dad was in jail mm-hmm. majority mm-hmm. of my life you know my stepfather um yes. kind of you know I'm, i always been a daddy's girl so i was a daddy's girl to my biological dad when he was when they were to get my mom and they were together mm-hmm. when they separated and then he went to jail and then um you know my stepdad came into my life and then i became my stepdad's baby girl so and then i lost him um, back in twenty uh eleven, but twenty ten he got sick, and then mm-hmm. I ended up we ended up we was living in Louisiana. We lost our jobs. My husband and I lost jobs, mm-hmm. and then we was just trying to survive and and with no income, no nothing, right. uh, just off of our savings until like that summer. And then between there, my stepfather did end up passing, mm-hmm. and then my you know we moved here to Dallas, and then just tried to so start fine. over. Right. And then my biological father came. You know, um, I got back close with him. He moved to Dallas, you know, mm. um, to be around me and my sisters. And we got really close. Um, then he passed away in 2016. Mm. So it was like... Back to back. Back to back. So I was... It was so much that I've been had gone through and dealing with. And it's like... But she you got to press on because you have to move on and, and live. Because you have a husband. You have kids. So you can't really stay down too long because you got to live for them. Right. And so it's like... I, I feel like maybe at points... I may still need to go and make my appointments with her because <laughs> that may be a lot of ways when I get to just sometimes I'm just by I myself and I feel down and I'm like, why am I feeling like this? I don't know. So, you know what? I, I feel like I'm going to take one of her spots in October that <laughs> she got open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's for me. It's for you. It's for me too because I'll be right there with you like, girl, we both need this. We can split yes, the cost. Yes. <laughs> and there's nothing to shame with. Like she nothing said, I'm going to therapy. People need it because, you know, we don't always talk about things. Mm-hmm. And so I wish my husband would be like that because he's the one who doesn't like to talk about his feelings. Yes. He doesn't do that. And so I think it would be good for him to go and just express and talk about things. But I don't know him being a man and the way he grew up, he ain't going to do it. But, you know, yeah, that's the sad part. But I'm going to go do it for myself. Yes, <laughs> and that's one of the things she did say is doing it for yourself starts there because the husband's going to follow because he's going to know why are you so you definitely what's going on so like she did give advice on having a pillow talk too and like let him know like this is the great things that's going to be great and this is the bad things if we don't get this handled so that's going to be some great Mm -hmm. see I usually I would just shut everything down because I'm mom so it's what I say and I shouldn't be like that because it should be a mom you say well I'm mama so Mm -hmm. you know I'm the disciplinarian in our family. Okay. I, and it's crazy because it's not daddy, it's mama. <laughs> but that's how it is. My mom was disciplinarian. She was with me every day, girl. Mm-hmm. I was so bad. She'd be like, what you with me before you go to yeah. school or when you get out? So I understand. So I'm not the cool parent. <laughs> but the funny thing is, they come to me for everything. Right. Like, I could be um, on a girl's trip on vacation. They still call out me. of town. 
they're calling me. And I'm like, well, where's your dad? He's the queen of the castle. He downstairs. I think he downstairs. <laughs> well, okay, so can you please just go ask your daddy yes. if you can eat this or you can do that? Because mommy is not even in the same state as yes. you. I can't help you out. So I'm like, it's, it's funny how our household goes. Conversationalists, what did you think of this episode? Yes. I want you to comment below. Comment. Let us know what you thought of this episode because not only are you going to sit on our Instagram, you're probably going to sit on, on our Facebook, mm-hmm. you'll sit on our personal social media platforms, but we're yes. going to have this going around for a long time because yes. it was a lot of great if information. If you got some topics or something you want to talk about, send them to us. Put them in DM if you don't want it to be seen by everybody. DM mm-hmm. us. We keep everything anonymous. We don't put um, your name out there unless you specifically say, shout out my name. Yeah, that's true. That's true. If she says that our name, we definitely gonna shout your name out. Um, one thing I do want to bring up is some things that are going on new with combos with Re yes. and Al. I um, first want to announce that we're going to be doing a giveaway starting on the twentieth. Yes. So be prepared to look out what some of the things that we're going to be giving away. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you want to talk about our new merch? Yes. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be getting some new merch. So yes. stay tuned for that's coming out in October. Come on. I know we're going to do some t-shirts. T-shirts. Glasses, wine glasses, some things, some so things that you can out. definitely be looking out for to purchase yeah. and support Convos with Rin and Al yes. and have some fun with us because you know we like to have fun with you now also what I think what we're also going to do is if you have a business mm-hmm. and you need to get some advertisement in it yes hit up Convos with Rin yeah. and, and we'll, we'll advertise your business mm-hmm. and talk about it on the show mm-hmm. let them know it's about if you want to do an interview with us or vice versa we will reach out or mm-hmm. you can reach out to us and we can talk about your business, mm-hmm. what you can do to help our conversationalists, because we're always about helping each other and building a family unit, and we can't do it alone. It takes a village. Mm-hmm. So bring your business, bring your friends, bring your family. If it's a whole a vibe of family business, just let us yes, know so we can we can talk about it. Email we'll, us at combos with three or DM us, message us on Facebook. And we'll talk about the advertisement thing, yes, how we're going to um, do it. So. Yes, and um, we have an agent, um, the link agency will definitely help you with booking yeah. and everything. So they were What's definitely the... great with Tori. So you can, our handle is yeah. at the link agent. It's T-H-3-L-I-N-K-A-G-3-N-C-Y. Mm-hmm. And you can reach out to our agent and they can definitely do all the booking for you mm-hmm. and get you set up on our show. Because we look forward to seeing you. And they also help with, um, if you want to do advertising, just have us plug you in. Plug you in. Um, They'll also take care of that, too. Yes, and I love it. So, you want to give us a love quote, Miss Lovely? Um... First, before that, you okay. can follow me on Instagram because I need to get my following up. Yes, so, go please follow on Instagram, Sharita underscore Edwards. Okay. Um, Facebook, you can follow me on at Sharita Edwards, but I really need to get my Instagram up. <laughs> and you can follow, follow me too um, and I always direct you to one of these lovely ladies um, that we talk to but you can follow me at al.williams4 the number 4 real um, or you can follow my business which is the link agency as well we we have all the fun over there too um, and if you love political black culture anything you can watch my show I got something to say mm-hmm. which is com- posted every other Thursday so you'll see a new episode next week um, which will be the day after our episode posts on podcast with Reed and Al so it's the next following day look how that works and then also um, I just wanted to shout out to Drifters Insurance Group yes um, it's also an insurance agency that I run um, along with a partner and we do auto, home, life, and health insurance. So we give the best rates we can. So call yes. us, contact us. Um, our Instagram is Drifters Insurance Group. Yes. Or um, Facebook, Drifters Insurance, insurance Group. group. You or can find you, them. 
Mm-hmm. You can find them on all platforms yeah. too. And one of the great things about Drifters Insurance Group, if you didn't notice in the conversation, is that the doctor take health insurance. So if you don't have health insurance, mm-hmm. get health insurance so you can get free mental health education, free therapy, because those things are important. And then, you know, life is not... Um, in our best interest right now as far as the pandemic is going on, the craziness as far as mandates. Mm-hmm. Um, get your life insurance. Make sure your family have generational wealth to lean on when mm-hmm. something happens to you because you might be the head of your household. And I'm really promoting Drifters Insurance because this group has brought me into their family <laughs> and adopted me, child, and I'm just down for the cause because <laughs> I feel like I'm a part of the, the movement. Yeah. So definitely look up Drifters underscore insurance underscore group. And you'll be able to find it on all platforms. Um, and if you look on the link agency or on Sharita's page, you're going to see us posting them too. Because mm-hmm. I feel like it's very important for our culture to be insured. Because that's the first thing that we are missing mm-hmm. when we go to the doctor's office, when we getting pulled over, mm-hmm. or just giving them a reason. And we don't want to give them no reason. Right. So, with that... And our promotions, and thank you for letting us do our plugs. Yeah. Give us your love, Miss Reese. All right, so that's all we got going on. So we're going to go ahead and end it with this week's self-love quote. Yes. And here it goes. It's not selfish to love yourself, take care of yourself, and to make happiness a priority. It is necessary. Necessary. So see you guys on the next episode. Bye. And I'm Bye. glad to hear y'all and see y'all and talk to y'all. See you soon. <laughs> Bye.